clubhouse. Because I'm not the one who created this situation. You wanted it this way. Oh, oh, like I forced you. No, you didn't force me, but you decide when we're friends or not speaking or having sex in the back room. It's what you want. You are always in control. Oh. I'm sorry. You think I'm ever in control of anything? Yeah, Allison, I know you are. You should too. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your companion podcast for Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Tonight we're talking about episode six, three quarters of the way through the season already. Caroline. I can't believe it. That seems so fast and furious, no? Uh, Fast and Furious is a saga, just like Mm -hmm. the most recent Fast and Furious movie. Feeling very Vin Diesel-y. Uh, I'm feeling, I don't know who I'm feeling. I guess you I'm could be I'm, Michelle I'm, Rodriguez. Oh, I could be. I, you know what? I could be Michelle Rodriguez. It's very true. I have a very Letty vibe about me. And I'm very Vin. It's all about family. Really, that is you. That's what it's all about. It's about family. But I got to tell you, I'm enjoying all of the meme explosion. Now, this is nothing new. I don't know why people have seized upon it for this ninth movie, for it to settle in. <laughs> That's the only thing Dom Toretto ever says is to do for family. I don't know why it has exploded in such a meme-tastic way, but I'm here for it. Uh, Especially the Harry Potter ones in particular have really been, like, making me laugh. There's a whole subgenre of Dom Toretto inserting himself into Harry Potter scenes and talking about how you have to do about family. It's very, very funny. Anyway, (laughs) we're not here to talk about the F9 saga. We're here to talk about The Grand Victorian, this sixth episode. It was written by Sean Clements, and it was directed once again by Anna DeCosa. Caroline, Sean Clements is someone who should be known to all podcasting fans, even if you don't listen to his podcast. He runs two very, very popular and successful podcasts. One is called Hollywood Handbook and the other one is called The The Flagrant Ones. They are related podcasts in some ways because they both have Sean. Guy is like a kind of like a podcast legend. He's also an executive producer on this show. And do you know why people of Kevin Can Fuck Himself are particularly interested in Sean Clements? No, but you'll tell us. I am going to tell you. He plays Kurt. Wow. And you had such disdain for Kurt and it turns out that you actually love him in real life. I love the actor. (laughs) Not so much the character. Do you hate that when that happens? Do you ever... Mine's always the opposite. Like, I always love the character, and then I'm like, meh, about the actor. You know, look at you. You didn't like the character, but you love the actor. You're a riddle today. Like, much like Jen, I am a riddle wrapped in an enigma. Jen. It always makes me laugh when she does it, and Allison is wonderfully consistent about doing yes, all of that. she is. <laughs> so, Caroline, we have some cleanup from last week's episode. Oh, yes. Housekeeping, people. Housekeeping. Housekeeping! <laughs> uh, one second! Uh, one second! Uh, I gotta put on some clothes! One second! Uh, well, let's hit the first thing. One thing that we didn't call out, and I think it's important that we do mention it, because it's part of this woman's role that this show has set up in the sitcom world, except for it happened in the drama side. We didn't talk about the fact that it was Dee who called Kevin 
to rat out Allison about quitting the liquor store. Dee is stuck in a different generation, I feel like. What, what's your take on that as a woman? As, a, you know, someone close to... Don't say that like it's so questionable. Like, as a woman. As a woman. <laughs> I, but I don't, actually, I don't really want to make it about gender. But this idea that, like, that's her family. This is Allison's family ratting her out to her husband. That's it's horrible. Gross. It's really it's gross. super gross. I think that the show really does a good job of highlighting when women are helping women and also highlighting when women cut other women down. That mm. is a whole portion that is kind of uncomfortable for people. And I think it's harder to recognize. And I think that's something that's going to come back in this podcast later on about, you know, is it tougher to recognize when women are are acting horribly? Do we do we chalk it up to caring when really maybe it's not? It sounds gendered, but it's something that you really don't see men doing in the same way. And I think there's reasons for it, especially in like the workplace and and in but in other places too. But certainly in the workplace, the idea that female bosses tend to be harder on their female employees versus the male employees and and all the reasons for that. I, I feel like this is like another aspect to that that the show is showing. And it's heartbreaking, especially for when you listen to Valerie Armstrong talk about the theme of the show is let's focus less on whether Kevin dies, but how Allison lives. And part of the idea of it's really a story about women helping women rise. This this ugly aspect of it, of, of D ratting her out to Kevin is is a really nasty really malicious like kind of underbelly of of these relationships there is also a comfort societally when people act the way you think they should so there's this whole portion and i'm gonna only say for women because i because that's the role that i play in society so for me when everyone is acting the way that i'm expecting them to specifically other women everything is smooth right but if somebody kind of starts doing something in a different way there's always going to be people people who are going to pop up and be like, "Mm, mm, mm, mm." like, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Like no one is comfortable. Sex life is as another show that has a lot of women characters. And in that case too, there's a moment of just that you're messing it up for the rest of us. Like stop acting like that. Mm. That's not what we're doing. And there's this like feeling of like, everybody just needs to toe the line. That's what we all had like a silent agreement to do. So I think that when women in this particular show kind of jump out like that, what is she doing? Why? Why is she calling Kevin? What is it her responsibility to make that phone call? I think that that's the whole like, there can't be imbalance. Everybody has to be doing the same things. Think how disgusted we were about the fact Kevin called Kurt to tell him about what kind of woman Patty was. Yeah, I bet a lot of people didn't even notice the D conversation. It didn't notice or didn't track or, or focus in on the fact that D essentially did the same thing. I think it's particularly interesting to bring that up again in this episode, not only because we didn't talk about it last week, but there are, again, examples in this episode. There are several examples of this episode. Things happen that if it had been a man or a woman, depending on the situation that we'll talk about, would we even notice? This show is actually doing a really good job of highlighting these things that we do and do not do as a society, which 
which I continue to enjoy and I think makes for interesting discussion. You know, not just here. I mean, there are great discussions going on in the Facebook group. Kevin can F himself fans along these same kind of topics, people discovering or people reflecting in their own life what they're seeing on the screen here. It's rare you get a show that generates that kind of discussion. And introspection. I, I mean, it seems like people are actually having a moment where they're being like, what am I doing? What role do I play in this? That's exciting. You know, that that would be so amazing if people actually changed even just one little teeny nugget of how they behave because of a television show. We are quick to call Allison out on the things she does wrong. One thing I feel like she did right last week, and, and maybe it, it points to character development and character maturity on her part, was, you know, at the end of the episode, she gives Patty the pills and echoing Patty's own words, she says to her, maybe isn't good enough. Meaning it was a conversation where Patty had said to her, you, you can't just maybe kill Kevin. If you're going to kill him, you got to make sure he doesn't get back up again. I liked it that she handed over the pills and said that back to Patty. It showed me that she not only listened to her, but actually heard her and ingested and digested and internalized what she had said. I really think that was the first time we saw Allison really take someone's advice and not just act in impulsively about it, but she sat with it and then made a decision based upon that. I appreciate the gradual growth of Patty and Allison's friendship and that they are gelling in a way that feels very organic. They were not fast friends. We discussed their circumstances is really what brought them together, their mutual destruction. Now they're sort of sort of finding their way as real friends, you know, like, is this good advice? Is this something I should listen to this person? For as much as they're like, well, there's two women, so they should be friends that we started off in episode one. They've really shown us how different they are and yet how much they are the same and they can appreciate each other and support each other. I agree. And though this episode shows it, they're not all the way there yet, right? I mean, there's still lots it's, of it's trust issues. Growing. And, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it has a lot of one step forward, two step back issues. And, and I think those issues really rear their head in this episode. There's some rubber hitting the road. And, and I think there's some trust issues that get exposed all around. Everyone is also lying to everyone in this episode. I want to put a reminder pin in the fact that we have talked about since really episode one, the idea that Allison and Patty's relationship has a different level potential. Maybe there is a romantic element there for Patty. You know, we we noticed with that gap dress comment from her. And I, I want to kind of I want to keep that on the table in terms of what is it about them? Why did Patty hang around all these years? And is that going to affect how that relationship grows? Just potentially, just sticking it on the board. I, I love it. I second that post it. I'll put a thumbtack to help keep it on Please the board. Please do. Use one of those ones that looks like a little plastic finger with a little fingernail on it and just stick that little thumbtack on it. Weird. You don't know those ones? No, I, I was thinking more just like a like a commander strip or some kind of thumbtack. Pretty vanilla office. What's a commander strip? Uh, like a 3M sticky back thing. You know, you can put oh, it like you could like, like a post-it note. Uh, yeah, but you can like peel it back off later and it doesn't do, do damage to your wall. Who puts a note on with that? <laughs> I don't know. My, my, po my post-it notes need to stay on for a long period of time. I'll send you a picture of one of those plastic fingers. Oh, please do. The last thing I need to talk about, because I feel like an idiot. Oh, my. That's dramatic. Is the idea of the package store. Now, we had heard Allison refer to the package store a couple of times early in the series. And I swear to God, Caroline, 
I thought she had two jobs. I thought she worked at the liquor store and she worked at like a mails, et cetera, or some kind of like, <laughs> like FedEx store doing like packaging. Now, this is so confusing to me because you live in New York and you have yes. grown up there your whole life. And I have lived in Texas for decades, but only for some small little portion. I lived in Massachusetts and I knew what a package store was. And so I'm like, how, how is it possible? How, how have you not ever seen this before? Well, well, I'm going to tell you how it's possible. Oh, so okay. I, so it, when she quit the liquor store, she tells, I think it's Sam that she says, you know, and I quit the package store, which then finally made, I was like, you know, I, I had been starting to think she means liquor store when she says package store. Like that had been like a creeping, slow, Neanderthalic. You were using your like second grade context clues. Yes, yes, exactly. I was doing some good reading <laughs> comprehension. I was like, Excellent oh, word. you're like who, what, where, why, when? You know, I was I was making a line from the column in the left column to the right column word. Mm -hmm. You know, like the word mm -hmm. in the meaning. You underline the topic sentence. So after we finished recording, I was like, damn it, I, I forgot to bring that up. Anyway, so I found this great little article uh, by a guy named Robert F. Moss, who has a website called robertfmoss.com, and he's got an article. So luckily called The Origins of the Package Store. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I just want to read like the first paragraph and a half. It's real quick. Paragraph and a half. Okay. Yeah. All right. Everybody get your drink and settle in. In various parts of the country, retail stores that sell liquor are called by all sorts of different names, which is something I knew. When they need a bottle of whiskey, North Carolinans might head down to the ABC store, named after the State Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission. I've actually heard of ABC stores. Wait, you're going to be injecting each time, like whether or not you knew this fact or not, or this is just going to be Robert's article? Uh, this is going to be Robert's article. That was the last one. <laughs> Okay. Actually, that's not true. There's one more that I've heard of, but otherwise. You're going to be like, I was bamboozled. I knew that word. While in South Carolina, <laughs> they may often say red dot stores because most liquor stores in the Palmetto State display three dots on their signs, while Pennsylvanians might frequent the state store. And then there's the term package store, which is used in various parts of the country, including the Carolinas and New England. New York is not part of New England, by the way, where it is often shortened to the packy. Where on earth did that term come from? And then he goes through this whole origin of the word. The, the general thought is that it's because people don't want to be seen walking around with liquor bottles in their hand. And so they would be put in packages. And that's where it came from. It was like a classier, prudish attitude that we don't walk down the street with just bottles of liquor in our hand. We put them in boxes or we put them in brown paper wrapping or whatever it is. It was fascinating to me because, again, I had heard of some of those, even ones that have nothing to do with New York, stuff that's not referred to in New York, like, like the state store uh in pennsylvania where i've had to go buy like beer in shifts you know like because you can only buy you can only buy a certain number of cans you know in one purchase so like you have to go buy it you have to leave the store you have to physically leave the store then you have to go back in and buy some more meanwhile down south we have the beverage barn where we can just drive through and they put it in your car and it's all air conditioned inside <laughs> Fantastic. It's, it's fantastic. It, and you can get a drink like right then. Like they'll hand you like a daiquiri or what have oh, you. Oh, I, I remember when the pandemic started, that was yeah. when I really started to hear about drive through margarita bars and stuff like that. Daiquiris that, is the big thing. But yeah, for sure. <sighs> Amazing. They should add that to the article. 
when we talked about this and I gave I, I made this confession to you, you laughed at me. And then you said, but they really call it a packy. So when Allison calls it a package store, she's not really being authentic. The article here supports that. It says, you know, it's often shortened to packy. I, I don't know why it didn't come up between us. You could have set me straight so much sooner. I had just been having this, like, I you know, she's, you know, she's. What do you want me to say? Mike, Mike, Mike. Well, we just never talked about it. I was like, I was like, you know, I wish it's funny that they never show her working know. at the package store, only working at the liquor store. You would have been like, are you dumb? What's your, what's no, your No, I damage? wouldn't have been like, you're dumb. I would have been like, I wouldn't have even followed you. I'd have been like, what do you mean? Boy, what is your damage? I wish you had said something like more clear, like I, Caroline, when does she work at the and more and i'd be like what <laughs> she never has tape on her yet she works at a package store what is the issue i never see like, her with wrapping paper <laughs> i know i know that's, i guess it's my well, shame I, that's i i am i am exposing myself here to the world no, everyone look at his belly okay he's showing it to us right now so we're not gonna pick on you mike about it i just <sighs> thought it was interesting pictures will be up on the post of my belly it's like you're like a chihuahua when you roll over and you're like please don't kill me i'm just this is my belly i think it's super important that we talk about this because because there are little nuances like this that i know that people who are in Massachusetts are, you know, a little ruffled about things like the accent or not quite getting things quite right. I know we saw comments about the name of the convention center and, you know, all those things that where it's like, that's not right. And, you know, we've had those conversations on the Facebook page. So it's important that you mention these things and it's okay. I mean, you thanks for taking the hit that like, you know, you, you could admit that you didn't realize it. That's okay. And I wouldn't know either had I not lived there. And I was a little kid. So really should I have even known those words? Now a little look behind the curtain here is, you know, Caroline, obviously she and I talk a little bit about the outline and things we're going to hit when we discuss this. And I brought this up and she said, have you never been to Massachusetts? And, you know, but you grew up in New York and, and it's, and I stopped in the article also to make this point, New York is just outside the New New England culture. Oh, well, it is, but it though. is, but it is though. I mean, because if you, I mean, I can, I can drive forty-five minutes. You've never east been of to Boston. Here. I've been to Boston to do Spartan races. I have not I bought liquor in Boston. Uh, okay. It's the only time I've, I've, I've come. I've run. I've left. Well, you should go. You would enjoy it quite a bit because it's very historical. I don't know if you know that because you're not a part of New England, but it's very historical. I I expect that there are Paul Revere reenactments every weekend throughout. First of all, there is, but not only that, but you can take this <laughs> tour through there. I love it there. Okay, like the Boston Tea Party ship is there. The actual ship is there. Yo, come on now, and you can go around. They have like this. They do have a man dressed up like like a Paul Revere type, and he does the whole walking tour. Of Boston, like, come on. You would, I mean, you I have die. a I you have a tri corner hat, so I would I bet really you fit. Do. Uh, you know, I do. <laughs> So, I so, love it. So where I live, I live in the Hudson Valley. So I can drive 45 minutes east and be in, quote unquote, New England. There's oh just gosh. a real demarcation, though, where it, uh, it hasn't come into my life. Anyway, okay. this was my big realization and confession over the course of the show. Anyway, well, I thought it was we interesting. We all appreciate it. And we're not going to make fun out of Mike. So anyone who wants to write in and be like, I can't believe you didn't know about this. Listen, we've done our damage already. He's already shown his I'll belly. S- I'll say nine other things you can make fun of. Uh, for me in this no, episode. No, don't sure. even say that. Oh, Are you going to show your show your belly actually on the website? I've just taken my shirt off. I'm just exposing my belly the entire time at this point. I'm <laughs> just f- fully submitting belly shown. See, and uh, is that just a Southern thing that I said that? No, I knew exactly. Well, I, well, maybe it is, but I knew what you meant. Uh, let's get into this episode because this was, again, uh, I think a different ch- 
change in how they have told the narrative. You know, every episode, I think, in the first four started in the sitcom world, and it, it took us right into it. And then last week, you and I remarked it was the first time they had started in the drama world, right? Because they had picked right up on Allison and Patty talking in the car, talking about uh, the, the fallout from Patty's uh, Allison saying she's going to kill Kevin. This week... Though there is a lot of back and forth, really quick cuts where the sitcom world and the drama world are happening in the same place, it took over 10 minutes. I think it was 1030 or 1023 uh, before we got any of the sitcom world. That is a significant departure for how the show had been operating from the start. What do you think that means for the course of the show? I think the tone is shifting a lot. I think that we're really getting much more into the the dramatic side of the story. This was pretty remarkable how quickly they were switching between the two genres. Like, I mean, Allison sometimes was just gazing in another direction and it would change to drama and then she would glance the other way. And then all of a sudden it was back to sitcom and it was like it was happening that fast. Whereas before she would have to physically move from one room to the next or someone would have to enter a room. A lot of movement had to happen. Now, this is like just these little micro movements and she's going between the worlds. I think it's getting disorienting for her is the vibe that I feel because her two worlds, this like non Kevin world and Kevin world are really colliding a lot. This entire episode embodied that people from both sides of her life were just mashing together. Yeah, to see Sam and Jen, but Mm. Sam in particular in Mm -hmm. the sitcom world was jarring. To, Nick, hello. Uh, to see Nick in the sitcom world and the drama world literally within just seconds of each other. Yeah, was it would jarring. just be like literally just like the, it's like the camera just followed them around the corner and it flipped like it was wild. Right. We really we really this was the first really shattering of who is where when it re- and, but it, by doing so really enforced that the sitcom world really does travel with Kevin. This idea that this this sitcom uh, sickening tropey stuff that we're seeing that we're reexamining aff- affects Allison's life and is certainly how she is coping or or views that aspect of her life. These hijinksy moments, even Sam, you know, giving Heimlich maneuver to Kevin, like that's all like has a real aspect of it when you add a laugh track and the bright lights of being sign of sitcom tropey, right? Kevin doing the physical acting. I'm sure this is the physical acting. I was thinking about that when he was doing it, specifically when he was leaving that the like party place. What is it called? Tricky Nicky's? Tricky Nicky's, yeah. When he's leaving Tricky Nicky's and he actually does like a full spin as he like puts his coat on and goes back in and stuff. And obviously the Heimlich portion and all that. Yeah, there was a lot of physical comedy. Yeah, the Heimlich portion where he's choking off to the side, which Mm -hmm. is a classic kind of sitcom way you would show that, right? Everyone's Mm -hmm. having a conversation over here while guy chokes. It's very Jack Tripper, isn't it? Like like, like you could almost see him doing that with like Chrissy and Janet, like chit chatting to the side. Yeah. So, yeah. So this was a real colliding of her worlds. You know, up until now or the last couple episodes that we've tracked it, it had been between 12 and 13 minutes of the episode devoted towards the sitcom plot. This episode, it comes in at 17 minutes and 22 seconds devoted to the sitcom plot, which is still less than half of the episode runtime, which was 42 minutes and 38 seconds. But a lot more time devoted to it than we had seen the final act of the sitcom plot, which is the eighth time they go to it. That was like a full five minutes almost 
where they mm. were just in that world. That's a really long time for one of those vignettes. But it has to be now because her world is all crashing down and the players are all kind of coming into it together. It becomes much more elaborate. It's not just a and place. Like frantic, right? Mm. Like there's that feeling. There's there's tension in this one, and there's like a frantic feeling. Of course, because Kevin is physically rushing between the two buildings, but her like complete anxiousness and desperation to get to Nick, and then the anxiousness surrounding Sam. The the vibe and the feelings are very palpable. She's losing control, which is interesting yes. given her conversation with Sam about control. Yeah. Uh, she this episode made me have anxiety watching it because yes. because of the frenetic pace, the movement back and forth, uh, not only of the Allison scenes, but also the Kevin scenes. You know, again, I thought it, I, I'm curious what you thought of it. I actually think they did the classic sitcom trope of being in two places at once pretty well. And I and I give Eric Peterson a lot of credit for his physical acting and and the maintaining that Kevin persona. Even as you see him wearing down, he forgets to take off the tie. His shirt is just disgusting and unbuttoned and he's sweaty <laughs> and the flop hair. He's losing control. And he's a guy we know that he thinks he's always in control. Right? Patty refers to him as the mastermind of his own plans in this episode. <laughs> You know, he's losing control. So he's losing control. Allison's losing control. Everyone, Patty's not in control in her own section of the episode, which is not in the sitcom world at all in this episode. Everyone's kind of lying. Everyone's losing control. It's a real spinning out of all, all of the threads are coming undone kind of all at once throughout this episode. It's exciting. It's exactly how I want to be going into episode seven, because I want seven and eight to be full of action and full of like, finally, things are coming to a head for all these different people. And I think as we usually know, you know, that in order to do that, you have to kind of put all your chess pieces in the right place. And this feels like, okay, there's a lot of awareness about other people from different sections of Allison's life that wasn't there before. People are crossing paths that hadn't before. And I think that's going to lead to a really exciting last two episodes. Uh, I'm curious, though, what did you think of the sitcom portion, the going back and forth between the Grand Vic and, and Tricky Rickies, and, and the idea that Kevin is has been running this scam for 10 years, trying to keep Allison and Neil away from each other, but yet celebrating his birthday with both. I was happy that we had the moment between Patty and Allison where it was completely revealed to Patty that Allison knew this scam had been running for so long. And it's surprising, once again, that this was news to Patty. Like, she had no idea that Allison knew. Like, still underestimating her at this point, you know, six episodes in felt like, geez, Patty, really? But it's just how ingrained the idea that Allison doesn't know and, and doesn't, you know, it can be so easily tricked is really like deep in Patty. So I, I thought that that was great that they had that moment of realization. And I also really wondered what the show is trying to tell us about Kevin. Normally in a sitcom would have him run back and forth, but they would never voice perhaps why. We actually saw Neil having like a nervous breakdown about Kevin not being there on time. And Kevin was really soothing to Neil being like, you know, you're the most important person and it's important we spend time together and how much father figure, I guess, that yeah. Kevin really is for Very Neil. big brother, if not a full on father figure. Yeah. And I was surprised to see that much depth to the relationship was given in that moment. Like normally it would just be like the Neil character can just kind of 
maybe not even notice that Kevin's running back and forth, right? But mm-hmm. he did notice, and he was hurt. And that part doesn't normally happen in a sitcom. That whole aspect actually had a lot of emotional resonance. And and I want to give a lot of credit to Eric Peterson, who plays Kevin, but also Alex Bonifer, who plays Neil, because they took this relationship, and we had seen Neil act distraught whenever in where whenever kevin is threatened to be removed from his life before you know there there's that scene in the first episode where he's like he gives like basically like a god why god why god why when uh allison's talking about them moving away but this was the first one where you actually really felt like neil's world is wrapped up in kevin and kevin's approval and kevin being there for him and again it makes sense, though, because we know things about Neil now that we didn't. We know his mo- he found his mother when she died. We know the father wasn't around. It kind of makes sense that he would latch on to Kevin in this way. And so when he acts so hurt, I have in my notes here, Al- Neil is a very sweet boy in a lot of ways. And, and I feel like this was the first episode where we really felt that like this real childlike innocence and hurt about him when he felt like Kevin wasn't giving him the attention that he has come to expect. So what do we think though? What do we think the show is trying to tell us about Kevin? Is he, is he more thoughtful than we're led to believe? I mean, is he actually like this kind of faux caretaker to Neil in a way that maybe we're not giving him enough credit for? I think accidentally only, I think there's a couple things to to think about here. One is to remember that conversation with Patty and Allison, where she talked about the, where Patty says, it's not that they think Allison is stupid. It's that Kevin thinks he is smarter than everyone else. I think it's also that Kevin thinks this is a special day for him. And he wants to, he, I think it's truly that he feels he has to do something with his wife, but he really wants to be doing something with his dad and his best friend. This is the way he gets to do it because he gets that love and admiration. You know, I think it's a little parasitic. I think he gets from Neil all of the ego stroking that he probably doesn't feel that he gets from Allison enough. And so he's willing to kind of go out and about to do that. You know, remember the rules that get set out in this episode. You know, there's three days a year where Kevin is the only one who's allowed to be sick. You know, St. Patrick's Day, the day after St. Patrick's Day and his birthday. This is like a holiday. This is, you know, and some people treat their birthday like a holiday. But this is a holiday that Kevin expects everyone else to treat like a holiday. And I think it's all wrapped up into that. I think there's some accidental caremanship and mentoring there and and father figureness, But I think it's all to maintain a sense of control over Neil because if he was to cut Neil out I think Kevin would be less concerned about Neil's well-being versus Kevin not having someone giving him that love and ador- uh, adoration anymore mm. Well, we know every bully needs a sidekick, right? That's like part of the the package. You've got you got to have the sidekick. So they have that dynamic. I just think it's interesting writing that the show bothered to give us a couple more minutes in the sitcom portion and bothered to show more depth between these two men and and really the fragility of Neil. Yes. I mean, he did not it didn't feel hammy. He felt upset. And that just doesn't happen. You don't see that among sitcom men. Norton is never legitimately sad and shown like tender with, you know, Ralph. Like, that's not going to happen. No. And well, there's a whole aspect to this relationship, too, that involves Pete, which I think actually does heighten this relationship in a way that you don't get in your normal sitcom 
guy and best friend trope, right? Because, because Pete is brought in and Kevin brings Pete in as a conspirator to keep Neil off of the scent of the going back and forth, but then also helping Kevin walk through the lie, you know, the five questions or whatever it was about why he's sweaty, why he's wearing a tie, why he smells like meat. Oh, we got to talk about that. We got to talk about what part does Pete play in that whole thing? Like, because even though it was funny and it was it was legitimately funny. I mean, I didn't fully answer your question. I did think that the sitcom was funny. And and I know that a lot of people get real pissy about the sitcom portion. But I watched this with a couple of other people. And they were like, this was the best episode yet. This was my absolute favorite. This one really, really, really finished out the sitcom storyline from start to finish in a way that felt so complete and so thought out. Mm-hmm. That they felt it was very successful. And I, you know, I'm watching it through a thousand eyes, I feel like. And so I'm always like a little more uncertain, but I was like, you know what? You're right. Like this did feel like an actual show that was very well thought out. I want to talk about that, that generational behavior, because that's one of the things that I'm just making up that term. I'm not trying to act like I'm, you know, a psychologist or something, because I'm most certainly not. And I don't even play one on a podcast. But I would want to say that I felt like Dad Pete walking Kevin through that lie with Neil felt so like manipulative slash mentoring in a way that was kind of frightening you know like you could actually visually watch how he was like doing his hands and like being like okay take it one one accusation at a time like it was wild how he was being taught to lie to him Oh, maybe. I don't know. I took it more actually Pete trying to protect Neil's feelings and and keep Kevin from being ex- I think it was both. I think it was him trying to keep his son from being exposed and causing whatever scene Neil would cause if that came out. But didn't it have a real like ringmaster feel to it? Like 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 directing Neil's attention to the to the the uh... it, it did. It did, but it was more it reminded me more of like uh, an older brother and his best friend trying to keep the little brother under control from having a meltdown. Pete has bought into this idea that Neil is his other son, I think, to a large extent. But he does show exasperation with Neil's codependency on Kevin also. I mean, even in this episode, there's a point where Neil says something really treacly sweet to Kevin about leaving him or abandoning him. And you can hear Pete say under his breath, oh, for God's sakes. You know, so there's a limit to how much I think Pete is willing to indulge Neil and Kevin as an item, as a bromance. But I think his main operating point of view is helping Kevin facilitate keeping Neil happy, emotionally, emotionally put together. You're a thousand percent right, but that's where I'm saying, like, that's unusual. I don't have my father does not help facilitate my friendships. No, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is a weird. But you get what I'm saying? Like, so the dynamic is is off. The dynamic is is odd in terms of like Pete's always seemed to be like this kind of side character part of the gang right but this was the first time i saw him with the ringmaster hat on where he's like take it step by step kevin and even finished the lie for him he was grooming him to be the liar and the bully that's where i'm talking about the generational behavior of like oh shit pete was the kevin of his day you know 
Kevin lives his life, I would imagine, very much like he saw Pete and his mother and, and Kevin's mother live their life. I think that's just how this kind of cycle of behavior and, and abuse, verbal uh, abuse and, and, and controlling behavior and manipulative behavior, it's cyclical, it's generational, it's learned behavior. You don't normally see that, though. You don't normally see, especially in a sitcom, you don't normally see the grooming happening like that. Do you know no. what I mean? No, for and sure. So that was well spelled out. And not only that, but when, she, when he called called Allison the weighted blanket. Oh, I thought that was rough. It was really rough. And while it wasn't your typical bitch kind of talk, but it was it was such a pointed nastiness that we hadn't seen out of Pete. He hadn't spoken that way about to Allison. or about Allison. No. Yeah. No. So it really it put a spotlight on Pete where he had been this side character and I was like what part does Pete play? Like he is far more of an instigator and far more feeding this than I gave him credit for. It, it, it was it was it was nasty to hear. It upset me hearing it from Pete because he of all of them had been the least nasty to Allison. He just seemed like an old man, right? Like we all have grandpas and can be kind of grumpy and whatever. So I, you know, I I think there's an aspect, I think there are, there's an aspect of Pete where he's one of those parents who has transitioned into being from a parent to a friend of their kid. I I think that's why it gets confusing in a lot of ways. And this was, but he's never been the one to jump on Allison for being dumb or dismiss her like we've heard kevin say you're a simple woman we've here we've heard neil pile on he even does after the weighted blanket comment neil says more like a wedded blanket which didn't have nearly the same teeth to it because mm-hmm. it was kind of like a silly little kid pun it was the kind of thing that like like a kid would say yeah i just i'm gonna put my my eyes are on pete again <laughs> I'm going to keep laser focusing back on Pete and be like, Pete is far more of a little puppeteer than I gave him credit for. And I want to know what's up with that. In the same way we, we through Patty got a glimpse into who Neil is and what Neil's backstory is uh-huh. learning about. I think these kind of, these couple of episodes think back last week, Pete breaking with Kevin and Neil in the new Patty episode, right? Not going along with him, calling him a psycho, not wanting to go do paintball, even though we learned that's something that he would normally want to do. Instead, choosing to stay home and read Revelations. He's a more complex character than, again, you ever get in a sitcom. And I'm just really curious what they're... I mean, I, of course, have my fingers crossed for season two because I need a lot more understanding of what's up here. I give them credit. I give the writers credit because Pete could have just been so much more shallow and one-dimensional character and he has issues here i mean we know that he is a vet like they bring that up and say that you know he's he's got ptsd and that's why he didn't go do paintball and there's things going on with pete that i'm just very curious about so i just want to again put our little push pin in him and say pete we see you and i'm wondering about you i, I think when you take the last two episodes uh, the reaction to new patty the laughing at revelations the the kind of feeling like there is like a health issue on the rise there uh which you and i talked about going back way back you know i think we both talked about yeah. the fact if we would see if any of the three we would see in the drama world with allison it would be pete alone which i don't know that we've ever seen those two alone we don't even know we can't figure out if he lives there 
Right. That was right. one of the things I was thinking about. I was like, does he live there? Because I, he's unlikely to carry his Bible around, right? So if his Bible is just always, and that seems to be his recliner that he sits on on that one side of the room. Wait, does, does Pete live there? And right. you're so right about the relationship between Pete and Kevin. I mean, Kevin calls him Pete, not dad. Right. So, I mean, that tells you. I, for but he the, is his father. And he we did hear father. And we did hear the weighted blanket comment. So there is an apple and a tree aspect mm-hmm. that, again, just because there's a laugh track, just because the laugh track hit after he says more like a weighted blanket, a grown man, a father, a father-in-law talking about yeah. his daughter-in-law. It's not good. That's <laughs> fucked up, guys. That and is how much it shapes up. the the behavior of the kid, you yeah. know, in, yeah. in terms of how they treat their spouse. I think that's an important little message there, too, Mike. It's a one-liner, but, like, I hope someone hears that. If you're, like, a in-law and you're listening to us right now, Things you say about your in-law, if you will, your daughter-in-law or son-in-law, 100% shapes that marriage. Yeah. And I think that that's easily lost because it's just a one-liner kind of thing. But man, think of the influence we have on others like that. Imagine if there was a Kevin Jr. in this house. Imagine Allison and Kevin did have kids hearing that comment because you know that kid would be at Tricky Ricky's with them. Mm -hmm. Imagine hearing Pete say that uh, and a kid hearing that about his mother. That starts to shape how you think about women. That starts to think how how you think about marriage. Well, if Neil is the little brother in this situation... Look at the immediate effect. His response is, yeah, more like a wedded blanket. That's that's conditioning. That's I hear shitty comments. And I am repeating what I heard because I'm being conditioned. I'm being groomed, like you said, to, to think this way and treat people this way and treat women this way. It's cyclical and it doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from here. It comes from these interactions. So, yeah, I agree with you. Great, really, really smart point on the show. And to drop that in the sitcom section, again, Hammer's Home, what we've been saying all along, you've got to watch the sitcom portions to really understand the full field of what's happening in this show. And try hard not to get your ruffle, your ruffles, your feathers so ruffled that the, that they're kind of being so antiky that you miss the storyline. You right. miss the information being told because it's funny. It's funny how, you know, they're trying to, to tell us this overall warning, I guess, that when a laugh track is in place, you're going to, you're going to likely miss the message. And it's funny that the same people are saying, I'm so irritated by the laugh track that I can't, I won't even watch that portion. And it's like, oh my gosh, then you're missing the message. Do you, do you see what you did there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you actually omitted, you know, the important portions of the story because you are so annoyed by the laugh track, right. which is just as insidious as falling in for the laugh track and laughing about it and missing the message. Like you're no right. better then. And it becomes even more and maybe is like a more like an intermediate or maybe even an advanced course in television watching when the sitcom portion is actually working as a sitcom portion, but they're also still laying insidious yeah. Things that you need to know for the overall show. It becomes and even character development. I mean, we know so much more about Pete and Kevin. We know a lot about Kevin's growing up with Pete. You can see what their interactions would have been like. And yet, you know, as sitcoms are supposed to go, no one's supposed to grow and change. So yet we learn stuff about them and they've changed a little in our eyes. Masterful. 
know that you're not like a huge sports fan necessarily. You're not somebody who has like appointment TV with whatever games on. But did you feel like the the trope here of Kevin seeing the rival hockey team player, Sean Avery, and challenging him to the mighty moo? Like, was this all working for you? Did it did it hit home in some way? I mean, I thought it was I thought it was really funny. And I thought it, I thought the several name dropping of Boston uh, sports stars and then uh, the several cameos we have the sean avery and then you have the uh the other one the hologram the, 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 the hologram <laughs> Celtic show like i think all of that was very funny and on brand for what you would get in a sitcom the out-of-body experience you know and the idea that you got to do it for boston you're like yeah i would normally be on an island with women but this is more important it's about boston pride <laughs> you know like that whole thing i thought it was very funny uh i mean i was a i was a big rangers fan back in like the 90s so i kind of missed the sean avery days but you know as a new yorker i say i root for the rangers you know well, and so. hello i mean how much does it also put jen at odds with the whole group Hysterical. when she says she loves the rangers giants and knicks and was i was like, like those oh. are my teams i shouldn't have so i don't want to have so much in common with jen <laughs> but, but man did it like nail in her coffin right of like she is not one of us right and allison how smart of her to pick that up and really expose her like i mean she was basically like pulling jen's hair back and exposing her neck like uh, have at her have at her boston guys you know <laughs> look at this new york trader here good lord because to allison that i mean sam didn't really seem to give a shit one way or another but to someone like a kevin and that's what allison knows that would be like a get out of here you gotta walk home jen you disgust yeah. me kind of thing sam didn't really like he was like i don't give a shit like i went to Sy- <laughs> he went to school at syracuse he's an orange man you know like that's he's like funny. you know like i root for you know college teams whatever uh, so so there's a great John Candy movie called the is it the Great Outdoors? Great Outdoors, or, or great yeah. Outdoors when he's got they eat the steak, the steak including the fat yes. and grizzle. Yes. I love that scene so much, and this brought me <laughs> right to that. By the way, I also love a challenge. I love a food challenge. I, every year I would go to the yeah. Grand Mick and I would buy the Mighty Moo. It didn't seem that bad to me. I got to tell you, even with <laughs> even. And the roll, I think I could get it all down. I, it didn't oh, seem that Mike, bad to me. It's end a roll. It's the, I, I loved that part because even just my short years in Massachusetts going to the Springfield Indians hockey game was like a big highlight with my dad. He actually caught a puck and handed it over to me. And I can tell you, I can still feel the beaming face that my little tiny, like third grade face was making when my dad like leaned over and handed me the puck. Um, I still have it. My mom wrote on it in paint pen like paint pen that's it back in the day um like the the date and stuff like that because that whole moment for any like hockey fans out there that end a role reference i hope that hit you as hard as it did for me because it, i was like I, my heart like just leapt out of my chest i was like i love that so much i i hope people care about it and pick up on those small details and boston pride it comes <laughs> above all else yeah and, you know, above his friend above everybody above you know? everything above yeah. everything uh mm. so i thought it was all really on brand and i thought it was really good sitcom work for the show to use a rival city especially a new york sports star uh cameo yeah so i think that was all very classic like sitcom stuff it's to the point that they start doing a yankee suck chant 
that's a different sport altogether. <laughs> altogether, yeah, you know, they yeah. didn't even have they came they came and put together that the Rangers suck. Uh, you know, they they still like because that's well, what it more is. More hate for the Yankees right. in that well, case. I mean, I, I, listen, I don't disagree, but uh, I, yeah. So it's just all very much the idea that all of a sudden we come back one time and all the cops from the retirement party have now come upstairs. I know. Oh my god, that was too much. But I but I was cracking up. Like I mean, I thought yeah. that was excellent. excellent Here's the thing, work. though. He yeah. because he finishes the mighty moo and he he defends Boston Pride. Did you hear the one cop say you have a get out of jail free card in this town now? I one hundred percent did, and I my eyes bugged the hell open. Mike, please write down get out of free jail card and put that on the board because. Yeah curiosity abounds when you have all these cops and you have that moment and we're dealing with cops. Can we talk about Tammy and can we talk about Patty, please? I've got to get into that a little bit. Please, 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 please. Okay. So I got to ask you, did you feel vindicated right away that Patty and Tammy are actually becoming a romantic thing that you read into it, right? That that was a date request. Yeah, no, I totally did. I feel like this was something that the show was really smart about planting the seeds early on. This is a, this is this has been a note on the board that you and I have been talking about and coming back to and revisiting this idea of Patty and her sexuality. But then also Patty and uh, and Tammy and her invite to a, a work thing. You'll have fun. It all made sense to me. It. I, for whatever reason, I don't think I was looking for it. I think the show was showing us in hazy ways. And uh, yeah, I, I felt great that that was how it worked out. And I think it's a really interesting story wrinkle. Not only Patty as a person trying to get to know herself and obviously exploring an aspect of herself, which based on her three-year relationship with Kurt is not an aspect of herself that she has explored maybe ever. But that she is, is so interested. I mean, watching her try and do the eyelash scene, you know how I feel about I eyeball know. stuff. <laughs> you know how I feel about eyeball stuff, Caroline. Love and her. how it was that was difficult for me to watch, but I was I was so enamored with how sweet she was being. I know. I really feel like we were seeing Mary Hollis there. You know, now that we've seen the panel for from ATX, I feel like we got to see so much more into Mary Hollis as the actor's little soul there because she was so sweet getting ready. And I loved her little date outfit. I thought she looked so cute and it was so flattering. But I have to ask you, did you find Tammy to be a good date? Because one of the things that I think that this Tammy Patty situation brings to us is another relationship to kind of compare Kevin and Allison to. We've had very little other ones to really like hold up against each other and be like, well, what do we think? You know, is Kevin and Allison, are they so off base or is everyone like this? So with Tammy and Patty, I really was zooming in on that moment when Patty fixes, I'm putting in air quotes, Patty's drink order. I like you. You want something to drink? Are you trying to find me with liquor or something? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no need, officer. I, I confess. Two vodka sodas. Coming up. It's one of those for me. I like beer. Mm, you think you like beer. You just need to broaden your horizons. 
So for Schitt's Creek's lovers, right, there's got to be a little moment of feeling like the wine and label speech. And if you don't know that speech, you'll have to go find it on YouTube. You know, I felt like this was a little bit of a call out to like, maybe you haven't had a lot of relationships with women. And I'm trying to sort of enlighten you that I think you actually do kind of like women here, Patty. But also because they showed the same type of move with Kevin superseding, right, Allison's drink order and deciding that, no, 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 you're going to drink something else. I know they had their different reasons, but is it just more palatable because Tammy's a woman? Well, I think people are going to say it's different because of the underlying reasons, right? Kevin changes the wine order because he's being cheap which I love that the waitress calls him out on. Part of that is also he says, that's, he says that he's the most important one. So what he says goes when it comes to the drinks. That, that, that's like a quote. So he's being cheap and he's being a Kevin selfish jerk. Tammy is doing it presumably because she is picking up that maybe Patty hasn't challenged herself and hasn't quote unquote broadened her horizons enough and she should do that. You know, she's trying to maybe help Patty here or, or push Patty along. My issue is, especially in light of what this show is, whatever the reason for it is, you're still exerting your will over someone else. Bitch, don't change my drink order. What are you doing? <laughs> Caroline, are you You're like, silly. I know you like your drink orders. If someone came up to you and was like, no, 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 don't give her a vodka, a, a vodka cranberry. Yeah, if they turned around and were like, she wants gin, I'd be like, get out of my fucking face. I know what I like and I like vodka and like, and or, or tried to push a beer on me. I'd be like, no, 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 I don't. Or God forbid wine. Oh my God. Especially in the women's world, everyone's assuming I want a wine and I'm like, nope. Please, please no. I have a real issue with this whole thing because I think it's the same exact move just wrapped in a different package. Yes. I feel like we're okay with it because Tammy seems like with good intention and Kevin feels like he's doing it to be, like you said, a cheapskate. But does it matter at the end of the day? If you're Patty, if you're Allison, if you're the one getting your drink order changed, does it matter? And is it actually worse if someone's trying to tell you that they're doing it for your own good? Does that even kind of feel like, ah, uh, what? I mean, here's the thing, right? Uh, men who control, and that's that's usually the dynamic we see it set up as, you know, uh, how many times you've seen this either in a TV or a movie or have experienced it or seen it happen in real life where a couple goes to a restaurant and the man orders for the woman. Without you having seen any discussion or any indication by her that she would like him to order for her, uh, even if he's ordering what they agreed that she wanted, just the idea of it, it's not chivalrous. Well, speaking for someone else is is it's control. Yeah, it's manipulative control. Control is control. Whatever the reasons, whatever the package, uh, not package store because that's a liquor store, but whatever (laughs) the veneer or package you want to wrap around it is. You're still controlling someone else. You're still exercising your control over someone else. And that's not okay. That's not okay, especially in this world, especially given everything we're seeing, everything that we're seeing. I mean, Kurt 
wasn't much better, right? Kurt with his yeah. Kurt with his rabbit food without ever asking Patty what she wanted. Patty has no say in what she eats or drinks in this fucking show. Why? Let Patty <laughs> have what she wants. <laughs> it's it's frightening how we control partners like that with, through simple things like food, shelter, clothing. Those are the three most basic things that I feel like I've heard where one partner gives an opinion or pushes their opinion on food, shelter, clothing. And it's scary how much it affects your life because those are just your most basic of needs. And when someone is manipulating those, you can't even get anywhere else. You're stuck at this like most lowest level of just needs being met. Did you feel like that when Allison came in on the scene with Patty and Tammy, do you think that this is starting to allow Tammy to connect the dots between Patty and Allison having something more going on with them, whether she picks up on a romantic something, something, or is it actually going to maybe reveal their criminal partnership in some way? I think Tammy right now is acting solely on your, you know, waspy ass looking friend came, said something to you. And now you're being a really shitty kind of bitch to me, really standoffish. And I think you were having a good time before then. Tammy is just at that level. She knows that this is not something Patty has done, at least often, if maybe ever. Tammy knows that. Everything Tammy is doing here indicates that she is grabbing Patty by the hand and saying, I'm going to show you uh, an aspect of your life that you've never examined. I sense it in you, and I'm going to bring it out. And so when Allison comes and pulls her away, and then Patty comes back, and she's obviously distracted and, and emotionally removed from that point until the kiss at the end, Tammy is picking up on that as... I think just the relationship that whatever that friend said to you has soured what we're doing here. I don't think she's picking up that it was a romantic thing. I think Tammy is very sure of herself that this is probably the first or maybe only one of a handful of dates Patty has ever been on on a woman. Everything about Tammy says that to me. So I think think her takeaway from the interaction with Allison was more like, why are you here with a woman? What is that about? Or made her feel bad about it in some way. Questioned her in some way. That's very much the vibe I'm getting from from Tammy from the moment she walked into the salon last episode and invited her to this. Tammy has been very has given a vibe of I'm in the I'm in control here. I know what the situation is. I know who you are, Patty. I'm going to lead you down this road. And then she watches that get derailed with a quick bathroom conversation when Allison shows up. Yeah. So did you think that Patty played her cards right in in giving Tammy that big kiss at the end? Was that fair? Was she was she being cool here? Or was this like, uh, this show's just showing us sex being used as a weapon. And does this weapon work as well on women than it does on men? Yes, I think using your sex works as a weapon always, whether it's to a man or to a woman. Weaponized sex is one of the most effective aspects of controlling and manipulating someone. Period. Hard stop. I think that always is effective. But I think in Patty's case, I think there's a bit of her that is thinking about that bathroom conversation. And remember, Patty keeps playing this off when she talks to herself, when she's talking to Allison, that it's good for me to get close to Detective Ridgeway, to get close to Tammy, because of she's sniffing around this investigation. She likes me. I can use that. That's what that's the lie Patty is telling herself here. But inside, Patty is very much nervous and excited and titillated, and she's all of the emotions about what this could actually mean for her. And I think there is an aspect of her that is 
attracted to Tammy. Tammy's a very attractive woman. She's also very assertive. I, well, I think everyone likes an assertive person to an extent, except for your most kind of barbaric men. But someone who knows who they are, someone who, know, who knows how to kind of take control of a situation. She's everything Kurt isn't in a lot of ways. That is something that Patty is drawn to. So when she kisses her, I think it's a little bit about weaponized sex, but I think it's also mostly about Patty throwing caution to the wind and opening herself up in a way that she has never, ever even maybe considered doing before. Super fascinating. I was taking it so a different way. I was taking it like the doubling down conversation. Okay, so she went on this date to try to stay close to Detective Ridgeway in some regard. You know, she saw Tammy starting to question some things. And so she just doubled down. I was like, oh, let me just push this forward and I'm going to kiss her. And then now we're in a physical relationship instead of just like, you know, a dating one. And I was like, oh, Patty, (laughs) I, I hope you're okay with what you're doing here. And man, again, just how we manipulate one another as humans, you know, it's it's striking in this show how you can watch it happen. Now, for you. Yes. Well, you asked me a question early on and I didn't answer it. What did I think of Tammy as a date? Mm -hmm. I think Tammy and I think Candace Koku plays her did a very good job of being a cop on a first date. I've known known a lot of men cops and this is how they act in these kinds of situations always. I thought it was very realistic in the work environment. I think it's weird that she took it, her... I was going to say, and the work environment matters too, because she's getting ribbed by the fellow cops. And so there was that element too. Yeah, she's being ribbed there like, you know, she's had a lot of recruits lately, a lot of mm-hmm. washouts. But that's like shit that like guy cops say to other guy cops in front of the dates. Like I've, I've seen there, I've been at the parties yeah. a lot. And so I thought it was a very realistic portrayal of that i think it's weird that you take a first date to a cop function to a retirement party function like a work function that's a weird first date kind of thing that aside i actually thought it was a really realistic portrayal and i think tammy is a very realistic cop on a first date even from when she asks her to this thing just this the very self-assured like i'm gonna ask you you're gonna come i'm gonna tell you what to drink I'm going to control the conversation, you know, uh, unless you want to jump right to childhood trauma. Like, you know, <laughs> like I have a whole question in my head because that's how cops are. That's how detectives are. I, I think, sure. I, you know, it was very realistic to me. Uh, well, I think it took the gender question out of it, too, it because really I think it was like, you know what? This is just when you're going on a date with someone who's more assertive than you are and who is there. Like she controlled the situation and it wouldn't have mattered what the gender is. And I think that 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 is important to remember because we've gone back and forth about like who can be a Kevin who can be an Allison and and what roles do you play in a relationship and I think this did a great job of like showing like no it doesn't matter you know it wouldn't matter if Tammy was female or male it doesn't matter she's playing cop on date you know and that and it would that's all would have to say in the script for her to do all the things she did I want to jump to that bathroom conversation so as a way of getting into Patty and Allison in this episode because they don't actually have a lot of screen time together but the screen time they have together I think is really illuminating for where hugely important Important to the, where to the where their relationship here. is. Let, let's listen to this uh, little section I clipped from the bathroom. Allison, no! The guy got away with murder. Stop pissing him off. Okay. If I just shut up, it's up to him now. You know, you got what you wanted, right? Plane's taken off. You got your pilot. I lied. Okay. 
I was terrified the entire flight, and now I'm starting to think that maybe you chose the wrong pilot. I chose. You made it clear you were doing this no matter what, so I made the best move that I could. Now you're all shocked that it's a little bit messy. Well, guess what, Allison? You're asking for messy. You're begging for it. You're asking for messy. Mm -hmm. You're begging for it. Patty, bring, reminding Allison, you made me an accomplice in this. You dragged me into this without asking me, made me a part of this. I don't know that you could turn around and then question my how I'm trying to handle it. What did you think of that conversation? Are, are they both right? Are they both wrong? Is it a little bit of both? Well, this conversation brings up Nick and ties him back into our storyline here and why Nick. And I was happy that they, they answered that question right away for us, you know, the stepdad and whether or not, you know, he really got away with this. Do you think it was a rumor? Do you think that he really murdered his stepdad? And I mean, he seems unhinged enough <laughs> right? that maybe he did. He doesn't strike me as the most intelligent criminal, and he's certainly prickly. I don't know. I, I'm willing to take the show at face value. Again, Patty delivers it, but we've seen Patty be a little custy, right? Several yes. times throughout the show. So she's she's clearly parroting information she has. Nick seems to be a known quantity in the neighborhood. It doesn't seem like it would be so hard to find out a quick bio on him and i imagine if you kill your stepdad that's going to be near the top of your bio mm -hmm. uh you know even in a two-sentence synopsis of who is nick winford you know it's gonna be <laughs> kill the stepdad got away with it that's gonna be really <laughs> near the top and probably bold so well, okay so given that robin lord taylor is such a great actor i love him so much i know he's great i didn't know him before and he he sucks me in his face really sucks me in girl you like got all... to go watch <laughs> gotham he I is know, so good i mean a really different character but also not so different though either <laughs> well all the shut up shut up shut up that went on not only not only from him but also from patty echoed in that know, scene yeah lots of shut up shut up mm -hmm. i you know there's something about nick that is making me feel like is he going to renege on this deal at some point is he gonna squeeze them for more money like it feels very blackmail-y in, in another way to this another layer here because robin lord taylor's too good i'm so glad they're using him in this way where you know having him run through the restaurant and create this tension man they could have if they had picked someone else i feel like you would have had the cheesiness factor and again that three's company factor that somehow his gravitas i can't quite explain it kept it where no he is a bad guy and even in the sitcom parts he's still a bad guy and you still get that there's an eddie haskell nature about him but with a real psychopathic murderer undercurrent. It feels authentic, right? Like, it doesn't feel like he's playing Eddie. It feels like he's got that authenticity back well, yeah, I mean, Yeah, I'm thinking back to, you know, no Detective Ridgeway. I'm yeah. keeping my nose clean. Like, that's very Eddie Haskell, but, like, if Eddie Haskell turned out to be a serial killer, it would be Nick. I mean, that's yes. kind of the vibe. So, I think he's great because he seems... If you just see Nick... Right. And, and just the, the quality of Robin Lord Taylor and, and how he looks and his, he's kind of slight. You wouldn't necessarily, necessarily notice him. An eagle eyed poster in our Facebook group actually reminded all of us that we saw Nick in the very first episode in the packy buying lotto scratch off tickets. When Allison, we see her walk into the liquor store, he's there at the counter buying lottery tickets. He even like gives a real eye fuck look to Allison as he's leaving. He actually makes an impression but he's so kind of forgettable otherwise 
you don't notice it. Like he comes and then he goes and then you don't remember that he was on screen. So it's not until he opens his mouth that you're like, oh shit, this guy is actually terrifying. (laughs) And they've done a good job of like creating those situations. Like even remember how he slipped out the back of the hair salon, Mm -hmm. you know, and she didn't even see him go. Like there's, there's something about him that has that shiftiness. You're so right. That, that wormy quality where it's like, he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out. Which he's following through the kitchen in this episode. I mean, how many rooms can it possibly be that he disappears, that she winds up in the downstairs bar area? Area, yes. uh, with with Patty, where did he go? We didn't see him <laughs> in, in the room. That brought in this extra element that was going on throughout the evening because now we have Sam and Jen who are going to be a part of our storyline that is on the drama side, and Allison having to manage the meeting of Kevin and how mm. awkward that is. You have that passive aggressiveness between Jen and Allison, and that you know calling her Addison, Mike. Uh, oh my god, this woman has got a bucket of nastiness that she just doles out i mean back to the makeup and everything and the comment on what she's wearing i was like oh she knows all of the passive all of the passive aggressive tricks the calling her addison that's a that's a move pulled straight out of friends when chandler does that to one of like monica's exes and the guy corrects his name he's like oh whatever yeah 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 like the 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 intentionally calling someone the wrong name is a real like mind fuck move oh it's so dismissive it's like I, it's, you you weren't even worth remembering in any way is like ouch let, let me ask you something if you were in a restaurant you you and your husband were in a restaurant and you saw a friend there you had your knives out or your claws out for her if someone said come have a drink and she's like no no i'm gonna stay i'm waiting for my husband i thought it was so over the top pushy but exactly on brand for jen to keep insisting that she come have a drink she's like i'm gonna get mad then finally she says i'm gonna get mad if you don't come like real fucking next level manipulation mm. <laughs> yeah, or just yeah just 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 you're gonna do what i want I think that there is that part of the dynamic of wanting to control something that's that's not in your control. So obviously Sam and Allison have this history. And so Jen can't control that history. And I'm sure she knows Allison's working at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. She's the one who came in on Allison at the AA, yep. you know, award ceremony and everything. So there was like this whole thing of like, Allison is everywhere. Every Yeah. And so I can understand Jen wanting to like take like grip onto that and be like, we're going to do it my way this time. Right. But I have to tell you, I am never someone who invites someone over to our table. I never do that. I, as someone in a restaurant watching Even or listening. it's a nice thing to do though, I'm still not that girl. Like, I don't know why. I don't know why. I, I should be better. No, no. I would totally ask someone because I, because, because uh, then it's like, well, maybe they feel awkward sitting there by themselves. So I would totally, I think that that's the genius of, I think the show's writing. The first time she says, well, why don't you just come over and wait, have a drink with us when the person says no well then you drop it you've done the right. polite thing but when you keep insisting and you, you become you become aggro about it to the point where you mm. say i'm gonna get mad if you don't come that's like next level manipulation kind of like borderline psych uh, like psychotic we have to put ourselves in jen's shoes this woman keeps showing up we've yeah. moved back to town and since we moved back to town allison is fucking everywhere <laughs> in sam's life including in the in the office manager closet <laughs> 
she's fucking everywhere. She she's, truly she, is. She, she right? truly is. She I truly have is. to tell you the visual effect of how they handled Sam and Jen and Allison sitting at the table together. Oh, mad props to the set decorator. Mm-hmm. Mad props to the way they they did that because it was a two person table and they had her just sitting at the end. A real appendage, yeah. Such an afterthought. Such the third wheel. Like it was like, oh, that was so brilliant. So visually, she's a third wheel, and then she hears Sam say. Uh, reminds me of when I was 17, which he had just said to her mm-hmm. after having sex literally hours before. Wow. Wow, it's, wow, it's, wow. It's all bad. It's all so it's bad. All bad. <laughs> it's all bad. There's no good. There's no, uh-huh. no good. Okay, so I have to get to this conversation with Sam and Allison when he comes upon Nick and Allison in the hallway. And he's like, what the hell is going on, right? Okay, I'm fine. So you could just go back to to Jen. Yeah. I knew it. You don't get to be mad about Jen. Oh, don't I? We worked together like two hours ago, and this is a small thing you had after work to Well, make. your perfect special night is your husband's birthday. Okay, fine. Doesn't that make this even then? No. Because I'm not the one who created this situation. You wanted it this way. Oh, oh, like I forced you. No, you didn't force me but you decide when we're friends or not speaking or having sex in the back room it's what you want you are always in control oh. i'm sorry you think i'm ever in control of anything yeah allison i know you are you should too Sam dropping more truth bombs to Allison. So who's really in control? Does Allison have more control than she seems to? Or is this all, you know, just Sam's very unique position with her? Because, I mean, all that stuff about you decide when we have sex, you decide when we're friends. It's true. You know, she is she's Kevin in their relationship between Allison and Sam. I have in my notes that Allison can be a real Kevin sometimes and no more so than Sam and how she is acting. this way. I'm gl- and I'm glad that she sticks up for herself in that clip. She says, I forced you because like, he's kind of borderline saying mm. like, yeah, I, you know, you took my dick out and fuck me with it. Like I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> right. I, I was I was not even I was not like I was there just it's physically. Out of body experience. It, it, right. I was talking to a Celtic. I wasn't even there while we were having sex. Like he's he's borderline starting to make it sound like that, and and it, it would really make me dislike him if that's if he threw full in there. But I get what he's saying. The idea of we're doing this and I'm doing this willingly, which is which he never doesn't take responsibility for. The fact that his wife is sitting out there, like wow. Um, but you know, I hear where he's coming from that they're still doing it on her terms. If he came up behind her. You get the impression that if she wasn't in the mood or 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 had something else going on, they wouldn't have sex. That, I think that's what he's trying to say. She came into the restaurant after talking with Patty and jumped right on him. One hundred percent. She steers the boat on the on the two of them. And do you think it's empowering what he's saying, or is it damning? Both. I mean, he's saying it as as it's damning because he's trying to tell her they're not equal partners in this relationship right now. I am on the ride with you, but I have no say or control over where we're going or or how we're going or at what speed we're going. But it's empowering to her because I don't know if Allison genuinely doesn't realize that she does have more sway in her life 
than she actually does or sees. And I think that's part of Allison's journey, right? She is she has lived so much of her life in the last 10 years only having this having this idea of herself, identifying herself purely as the victim of Kevin. But in fact, as soon as she starts to have a life outside of Kevin, it turns out she actually has a lot of sway and she has a lot of control. You know, it goes back to the bathroom conversation uh, with Patty and it goes back to Sam making the burger for her last week. She's dragging Ooh. Patty and she's dragging Sam by the collar, both of them, and taking them along for these rides that they haven't signed on for, but they're right. now involved in. They didn't, neither of them asked for this. You know, uh, you know, Allison kept coming into Bev's diner, you know, uh, Sam, Sam didn't go into Allison's house, you know, Uh, you know what I mean? So (laughs) she was literally walking back and forth in front of him. Like, I'm here. I'm here. Like, yeah, she was playing all the games. Right. Well, exactly. Because, you know, and again, and and Sam is no guilty, is no innocent party here either. And, And please, no one say that we're that he's innocent here. He's breaking his vows. He's making choices. But he is also and I think the show has done a good job he thinks he's fucking allison from when they were 17 he doesn't know who allison mcroberts is today at yeah, all he has absolutely. no idea he is fucking a ghost that doesn't exist and that is important for the psyche because he doesn't know this woman he doesn't he thinks he does but he doesn't and oh if he did mike because then the irony of him being the one saving kevin's life yeah, right. <laughs> would not be lost right right, right. So there like, has to ah. be a part of allison that is just like why fuck it would have been so good i could have saved myself seven thousand dollars if you would just <laughs> let him die just let him die just let him die can we talk oh about this gosh. actually can we talk about this a little bit uh, this, is something, this is something you we haven't actually really discussed the beginning oh, of the my. episode starts with Patty and Allison very squished together on the couch. It reminded me of how they get squished together on Kevin's couch, uh, talking to Nick and, and, and hiring him for the murder. Uh, no, yeah, I'm talking when, when they're, they're talking to Nick and they're hiring him. Uh, I, you know, I laughed at the recliner scene about it getting fresh. <laughs> I knew you did too. When she popped up and said, oh, now it's getting fresh. And then she like popped up out of her seat. <laughs> I, know. You know. I really laughed at that. I laughed at that too. Yeah, I, I, I felt Patty really hard in that scene. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but when you're talking to it, uh, Allison, she pulls out the schedule, the photo. I was able to get his work schedule because if you've ever waited for a cable man, I know where he's going to be possibly at every given moment over the next couple of weeks. Allison's done a fuck ton of prep for the murder of her husband and hiring and hiring this killer to do it. Think about the things she had to do to obtain Kevin's schedule and prepare it like a spreadsheet to to make that happen. To say nothing of putting together the plan to go and get the pills to put pills in his meal. And yet she's then buying a recliner for her birthday and talking to him and sharing. Um, I, I'm sure they're still sleeping in the same bed. They're in the same house together. They're entering. They're eating dinner together. Allison is a flawed character that she's not having a complete mental breakdown at being this organized assassin hirer and also carrying on buying birthday presents for the man that she wants to kill. That's a lot to carry around in your brain that should be at war with each other. No, that doesn't that hint at something mentally being wrong with Allison that she's able to carry on that dual nature at the same time. They go from hiring Nick with her organized spreadsheets to buying Kevin his very expensive recliner birthday present. 
What do I think about that? I think, I mean, I think it goes back to the beginning of our entire conversation today about the worlds colliding, about the sitcom portion and the drama section of her brain mixing together and starting to create this dual world that's having to exist, not in these very compartmentalized ways where she can walk from room to room and very much separate it, but in this very woven confusing and I think going to break her in a lot of ways kind of way. And that's my, that's my nervousness for her is that I watching those scenes and how she is moving between those two worlds so much more. Now I'm like, you're right. Like how long can a psyche do that before you, you do something catastrophic? I think it's interesting to compare the two of them, Allison and Patty, because Patty, with the slightest amount of pressure or tension put upon her, where her psyche is having to carry two things opposed to each other. We've seen now a couple of examples. Patty goes right into panic mode. It's all on her face. She doesn't hide it well. As custody as she might want to be, she doesn't hide the pressure well at all. Even when she shows up to the date, she's like, I confess, officer. Like, she doesn't get it. She's so slow on the uptake that they're there for a date. And just how she handles the pressure is so much different than Allison. Like, Allison is showing herself to be a real game-time player. She's not buckling at all. She's, to me, to a troubling degree, is not showing the pressure, despite maybe being warranted to be freaking out at all of the things that all of the plates that she has spinning now. I think she's keeping it together remarkably well. I think they do a really good job, though, even in the smallest of moments of helping us remember that Allison has lived this life a long time. Again, going back to that tiny conversation between Allison and Patty about the dinner and the fact that Allison knew about the dinner the whole time. Any viewer who's watching in is surprised that she can handle a lot of these different things. And maybe even including myself should probably remind ourselves not to underestimate how much Allison's been playing these different roles for so long and been managing it. You know, women particularly are very good multitaskers and can talk to one person and then talk to another person and be a very different person. I am eager to see how long she can keep the plates spinning because I don't know. I mean, eventually something's going to smash to the floor here. Will it be our busboy Nick who screws it up? We don't know. Will it be Tammy, our love interest? I don't know. Just to bullet some recurring themes in the show, we see Allison buys the color chair for Kevin that he did not want, right? He wanted classy black and she buys him the brown one. This is another impulsive act of Allison's, this little acts of defiance that we see her do throughout the show that always end up backfiring on her in some way. Well, and I'm going to say, good shoot back to food shelter clothing. Where is she trying to have some control? Shelter. She's trying to control the pottery barn table, the color of the chair in the room that she's trying to have a little control. You think it's that or you think it's just that he wanted black and so she bought brown just to give like a little fuck you to him? I think because the mat. Well, I I think that mostly because thematically it backfires on her at the end, where he's like, "Now you just got to go exchange it for the black one." That's the pattern that the show has taught us. That's why I took it that way. That makes sense. Like it did, it didn't go anywhere. Every time we see her do this impulsive thing to to stick it to Kevin or stick it to the nasty makeup women, it backfires on her. But maybe maybe it was her trying to exert control over her world. But to me, it seems thematically in 
line with she tries a little act of defiance in an impulsive way <laughs> and then it doesn't work out how she wants it to work out i was yeah. feeling that disparity of gift giving man like hardcore <sighs> that kevin had given her a ball of rubber bands and and they try to like even give an excuse of like yeah but you're always losing your rubber bands and it's like oh so i was curious because i saw in your notes you saying is kevin more thoughtful than we gave him credit for and i thought you were gonna maybe bring this up as evidence of that because there are pretty plenty of men who don't understand feminine products uh, beauty products hair products or otherwise kevin does not keep his hair though lord knows that flop could definitely be put up in some kind of hair tie <laughs> he does use product <laughs> he does he doesn't keep a hair tie on him and there is when she says he thought they were rubber bands that instead of just like hair ties, like he's never seen a goodie package apparently of hair ties. Uh, there was a part of me that was kind of like, huh, well, Kevin even thought that she needs hair ties. So I'm going to buy her a big ball of rubber bands because I think that's what hair ties are. There's an aspect there where the husband doesn't have to be nasty. He could just be a dope where it is maybe a slightly thoughtful gift. I That's don't know. the question mark. I mean, I'm I'm asking the question to to our listeners and saying like, is the show dripping in these little tiny bits here and there of being like, well, maybe Kevin is a little more thoughtful than you than you believed, and so I I see what you're I see where you're going with this, and I don't know is the answer. I don't know. I I mean, if if he had bought her for hair product instead of buying her hair, if he had bought her the gel that he uses in his hair as a present for her, that seems really on brand, Kevin. The mm-hmm. idea that he was like Allison needs hair ties. She needs the thing that holds her hair together. So I'm gonna buy her a big fucking ball of rubber bands so she has like an unlimited supply of the things that I think she uses in her hair. It's less ugly than than it than it could be. I I agree with you wholeheartedly. There's something there's something that the show's trying to say to us that I'm I'm interested to see. Okay, are are we supposed to buy into this? I hope it's not a bait and switch. I hope it's not like haha, you fell for it. Like you thought that was thoughtfulness. It would be nice just because they are giving some of the other characters a little bit more depth to allow because we can all be a Kevin allow the Kevins of the world to have a little bit of something something else going on because otherwise it's a very straightforward you know villain kind of role and you want your villain to have some redeeming qualities right that's a more interesting villain the best villains are always the one that have a little bit of great to them so I think so I think so I think as a last thought trust Every single person in this episode is lying to at least one other person about where they are going or where they are going to be tonight. Every single character, even Pete helping uh, uh, Kevin with his lie. Only Neil is the only one not lying. What is the issue that no one is being honest with anyone else in this episode about what they're really up to? What does that say about the level of trust that exists or doesn't exist among all of these characters? Is that something that's even fixable? Like, that seems like a really broken, it seems like really broken relationships everywhere that even Allison and Sam didn't tell each other, I have to take Jen out to dinner for a little <laughs> while. Allison knows he's married to Jen. He has to, right. she has to appreciate that they go out sometimes. Kevin has a birthday. Like, she should be able to say, like, it's this dickhead's, you know, birthday. I got to go do this thing where I get to sit alone all this time. Like, it seems that if there was even a little bit of trust between them, that they would have said that 
in that kind of way. Instead of saying things like, I have a special thing to do. Why did she say I have a special thing to do? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. That made it so much worse when he, when he did see her there. You know, I, I think that they do operate on a very need to know basis with one another. And some of that has to do with the fact that they really seem to not know one another. So how can you have trust if you don't really know the other person? They're all going on these these sort of prepackaged ideas of who each person is. And it's only through us seeing the characters in a variety of settings where as the watcher, we're like, OK, no, they have more. There's more going on with these people, but they don't show that to one another. So do you think they're going to let them develop? more trust with with one another or is this just like the going line that like you know hey if you're watching someone it's kind of like the thing you've you've said it on another podcast about like the be kind to everybody you don't know what battles they're fighting it's kind of that like you know you don't really know people so you're not going to trust them but also just assume someone's got more shit going on behind their eyes than you can see i mean i at least want hopefully for Allison and Patty to get to some level of trust where they can actually be accountable for where they are together because, because on top of the fact that they're thrown in together, that seems to be the relationship that both of them seem to have an interest in developing. I mean, honestly, Sam and Allison, that's just sex, right? That's just sex and the feeling of nostalgia for the person you thought you knew back when finally getting to hit that. Like, that that's all it really seems uh, on Sam's part and for Allison's part. It's just this thrill of getting to do this. I don't see that these two actually have any real emotional connection to each other. Neither of them seems committed to wanting to build a relationship together. I think they just both are enjoying for their own reasons fucking each other i I, so whatever but patty and allison though actually seem like two people who are going to be better off if they can establish a friendship and uh and a trust-based friendship i think the two of them will actually have better lives and thrive together so i'd like to see at least that come together a little bit more like it breaks my heart that patty couldn't tell allison i kind of have a date with this with tammy like that she doesn't she's not there yet like there she's not there with alice that she feels like she can do that this is life though that's real life is where you you may not know what's going on with someone else and so trying to have trust with other people is really difficult i feel like as people at our age you know if you're if you're in your 30s or 40s i think if you don't realize that people have other lives that they're that they have going on that you don't see whether it's their work life their family life other existing things and then you're really like you need to open your eyes <laughs> to the idea that people are complicated and there's a lot going on the assumption that patty does sit at home and doesn't have anything else going on that's a bad assumption you know like we were talking about her books and i'm so happy that that came back up with her offering the pearl to um to allison i was like yes thank you for continuing to remind us that patty is more complicated and has more going on than than people give credit to yeah me too i was really happy and i thought that was a nice i think it was a nice hat tip for the show to bring back in again the conversation from tammy of you know you got a lot of books in here like like patty is a reader patty is more complex there's more depth there uh than just stress smoking about trying to put on eyelashes she said it was a novella i was like patty knows the word novella like wow (laughs) i would not have guessed that and and intentionally brought brought it because because she heard allison say i never i books i start and never finish yeah like that it was very well thought out yeah Yeah. it, it was not a ball of rubber bands 
Jones. No, it certainly wasn't. <laughs> and I, you know, by the way, it also wasn't. It wasn't a recliner that the person didn't want. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> they they have a real relationship growing here. I'm I'm really looking forward to it in seven, and I'm I'm really excited about the picked up pace. I hope that other viewers are excited about how how much more tension filled and the anxiety and the franticness. I hope that they're really excited about where this is heading. Same. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Kevin Can Podcast Himself. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Kevin Can Podcast Himself in all of Pod Clubhouse's podcasts at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be fantastic so that we don't have to try and beat you in a mighty moo eating competition, which we would win. <laughs> and roll. Go Rangers. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.